This week on the Sport Blokes. On this week's show, the NBA playoffs are here, baby. Basil Zemplis is now a butcher. Rain, rain, go away in England. Plus, we dive into the round 11-12 split in the, come on, umpire, that's not a free kick, football league. Go! Alright, Stewie, as we do every week, what caught your eye and what'd you miss? Oh, Jesus, what caught my eye? The welts on that bloke's back at the Criterium du Dauphine. Holy <laughs> hell. Yes. You saw that, I assume. Oh, yes. My goodness. How about yourself? Well, Stewie, I don't normally, I normally leave the AFL for the AFL segment, but I've got to deal with this here. What caught my eye this week, or perhaps what caught my attention, and maybe we need to rename the segment, was Chad Corns. AFL media personality and veteran of 255 games, by the way, 16 of which were in New South Wales for GWS, not knowing that the white silhouette on the Sydney Swans jumper was a silhouette of the Opera House. Look, I'll admit I actually didn't really realise that it was also the Sydney Kings logo and also I think the Sydney Sixers. Yeah, it's used lots. it, It is, it is. But yeah, whoever's... Charging them to use it, it's being a bit of a dick. Oh, oh, look, I'll be honest, I'm surprised you didn't know, but you didn't play in the state. Well, no, I, I, I played primarily... Apart from that time we had kick to kick. Yeah, I, I played time. primarily in Queensland for <laughs> for nobody. No. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I missed about the 400th game this season that I was amped for. Um, it also turned out to be rubbish, as per usual, with Geelong and Port. Uh, it was my daughter's first birthday, so I ended up going out for dinner with the family while the carnage ensued. So, ah, yes. yeah, caught a little bit of it in the background, but not really much. So, yeah, how about yourself? What I missed was nearly what I was amped for last week, but we'll get to... Get to that when we talk about the AFL. But what, I, what I'm really uh, annoyed at myself for is that I forgot to talk about that wonderful heartwarming moment of when a uh, local sporting team, and I should have been prepared, I don't have it written down, did the club song in Auslan. Oh, I've got that information. The, we'll talk about that in the footy. For the deaf girl. Okay. We can well, talk about that because I've got that, something. That was really heartwarming and, and, and I had it ready to go last week and then completely slipped my mind after right. we I've, watched the uh, Frio Geelong game. So. I've got that written down because there's something about that that I thought you might be interested in. So. Oh, well, yeah. okay. Good tease there. Let's go into the news roundup. So from the Monaco Diamond League, uh, Joshua Cheptegei from Uganda has absolutely smashed the 5,000 metre world record. He took nearly two seconds off the previous mark and get this, more than 22 seconds off his own personal best. So amazingly, this was actually his first competitive race since February when he set the 5,000 metre road record, also in Monaco. So that has to be his new favourite place in the world. Oh surely. yeah, get him a house there. Get, well, <laughs> Need a bit of money for that. <laughs> hey, it's a record holder. Serena Williams and Novak Djokovic have entered the US Open to add credibility to the field. Serena's only one win behind Margaret Court, and Novak's is two behind Nadal and three behind Federer, neither of whom are competing, so a good chance for him to catch up. Yeah, go literally anyone else. <laughs> So, moving into the cycling world, geez, we've had some insane photos, as I mentioned before, the back of cyclists in that Criterium du Dauphine. Um, riders got absolutely pelted with hailstones, the side of ping pong balls. Um, I've seen multiple videos on this one from different spots, you know, people in safety cars and people hiding underneath bushes and all sorts of things. It was absolutely nuts. So that's obviously a a huge thing. But also in the world of cycling, we move across the border into Italy. We had an insane crash in the Tour of Lombardy. Uh, Belgium Remco Ivanopol plunged six metres off a bridge after taking a corner too quickly. Oh, it was terrible. Yeah, he was about 50 kilometres out from the finish line in Lake Como, and there was a group of seven of them. And unfortunately, with him trying to keep up, they don't know if maybe one of his tyres went, but 
Yeah, he ended up fracturing his pelvis. He was actually lucky to only end up with cuts and bruises apart from that, but uh, it's unfortunately put an end to his season. And This comes about a week after Dutch cyclist Fabio Jakobsen was left in a coma after being thrown over a barrier and colliding with a finish line structure at about 80 k's an hour. This incident was just flat-out disgusting. I only saw it today, but the rider that actually pushed him into it was a fellow Dutchman as well. Ah, friendly fire. Friendly fire, yeah. So, I mean, you hope it wasn't intentional, but... Well, they're going so quick. It's a very dangerous sport. It, it is. It is. So it was a yeah, not a not a great sort of week, I guess, for the for the cycling world. But from two horror crashes in cycling to two in MotoGP, the Austrian MotoGP races were taking place over the weekend. Um, we saw two absolutely horrible crashes there. So in the Moto2, Enea Bastianini lost control on the first corner of the fourth lap. So he left his bike sitting right in the middle of the track. Not intentionally, obviously, but that's sort of where it ended up. Unfortunately, it was right after a blind corner. And you've got Malaysian rider Hafiz Sirin, who rode straight through it at full speed. I, I don't know how there wasn't a fatality in that. No but, kidding. Yeah. But, uh, Talk yeah. about seeing your life flash before your eyes. Yeah. Get this, though. He ended up with a pelvic contusion. That's it. Yeah. You know, a few bruises, but that's Some things defy it. belief, don't they? Speaking of defying belief, you move on to the Austrian Grand Prix main race, and uh, Franco Morbidelli and Johann Zarco collided. So their bikes both were hurtling across the track at about 300 kilometers an hour. You've got former world champion Valentino Rossi and then Maverick Vinales both somehow managing to ride right through the middle of these two bikes. Morbidelli by name, not morbid by nature, thankfully. Well, no, he actually stated that Zarco was almost a murderer. He said, I hope this major incident makes him think because he apparently braked at a particularly bad time. Um, There might be more to this story then. There there could be. Next week. And Rossi went on to add that our bikes at these speeds are bullets. Mm, That's true. So, so dangerous. And as I say, it's a miracle that nobody ended up dead. Oh, it really is. The footage is chilling, Mm. actually. Yeah. To a sport that we've probably neglected a little bit. It's not super popular here in Australia, but the NHL playoffs have begun in earnest after they had a 24-team qualifying round, which wasn't dissimilar to the NBA bubble. Highlighted recently by the Tampa Bay Lightning's 3-2 victory over the Columbus Blue Jackets in a massive five overtimes. Wow. They now have their traditional 16-team playoff field after the extended play-in. Speaking of cornfields, I believe there was a conspiracy with the (laughs) NHL draft. Did someone say conspiracy? I'll slip into my Trust No One shirt. Yes, that's right, Shui. The uh, NHL Draft Lottery took place not long after we recorded last week, actually, where the New York Rangers were awarded the first overall selection. Fans got a little bit upset when the person who was running the lottery ball machine kind of fumbled around with the ball a little bit, and even one of the Rangers players made a joke about it. And then, of course, the Rangers then won. But yes, there's a lot of people saying it was rigged. And it's shades of the 1985 NBA draft and the Patrick Ewing frozen envelope conspiracy. Yeah, this is one I actually didn't know about until you mentioned it to me about a week ago. Apparently, there's all these conspiracies that the league froze one of these envelopes intentionally made it cold. So David Stern could touch the cold one and give it to the Knicks. And rig it so that the Knicks would get Patrick Ewing. Because at that stage, they hadn't won a championship for what? 73, they won it with uh, Reid, Munro and Frazier. But, so it would have been about 12 years. So it's not that bad when you consider... But I guess the NBA being huge in New York is super important, I guess. So that's that's maybe why they would have looked at that. I've actually also uh, read another one. Apparently, David Moyes, who's a, a manager in, in soccer, he's been in the EPL, he's a, he's a Scotsman. 
I was saying that apparently UEFA do something similar where they use those little ping pong balls to, to pick out who's going to play in the, the qualifying rounds and they'll heat the balls up so that they can kind of manipulate the, the matchups, which, geez, if that happens, that is that is huge. As if mm. soccer's not dodgy enough. Yeah, no kidding. Fire up the Pete Evans machine. <laughs> I told you JFK was assassinated on September 11 by underground lizard people faking the moon landing. Some updates in cricket, Stewie. Yeah, look, we'll start off with the, the huge one. MS Dhoni. Mahendra Singh has finally retired. Microsoft Dhoni. Microsoft Dhoni, yeah. We're, we're officially retiring the helicopter shot. Ah, uh, yes, of course, yep. yep. It's one of, probably one of the most iconic shots in the entire game, really, when you think about it. No, look, an, an absolute champion of the game. One of the greatest wicket keepers to ever put the gloves on. One of the greatest short-form players ever. Definitely. Helped win him a World Cup. Yeah, he really, he really did. Probably uh, probably helped them win a lot more games than just that as well. So, you know, there were always some people that, that would say, oh, he moves too slowly, he protects his own stats. But, I mean, if you look at his statistics, the guy was just head and shoulders above. I'd still take Gilly above him, but, geez, I don't know... Can't think of many people I'd take after Gilly before Tony. Yeah, it would be interesting to look at the stats side by side and then also look at the positions. Because, I mean, Gilly, you have to remember, was usually coming in at four for 390-odd and had the ability to swing the bat. With well, I was thinking in the short form, but yes, yeah. Well, yeah. that's true, yeah. This yeah, is, he batted at different true. positions, of course. Yeah, yeah true. But then here has this Suresh Reina decides to retire literally minutes later. Bit of a dick move, in my opinion. Well, I don't know. I, I think I disagree with you on this one. I think he's he's maybe known that Dhoni would get all the attention, and he's done it because he wants less attention. I just think in, in that position, give Dhoni's a couple of days to really settle in. That, that's that's my enough. thought. It's, it, that's fair enough. It's not something I would have done, but I can almost guarantee that Dhoni will get 90% of the attention oh, will, and coverage yeah. and, and Reina will only get 10%. Mm. Reina, one of my favourite players, actually, for India. Great for that Chennai Super Kings team in the IPL, yep. too. Another fantastic short-form player and pretty handy in the field and, you know... Oh, very handy Roll the, the arm over every now and then, too. So, yep. yeah, very another very, very good player. Yep, I think he was... One of the, the key factors in them winning the 2008 Asia Cup. He was pretty big in that 2011 World Cup as well. I think he came in in the final and sort of righted the ship, so to speak, with uh, Yuvraj Singh to get them across the line. So, yeah, both of those will be, you know, obviously big losses to the, the Indian team, but they were both getting on a little bit. Yeah, so it was probably time. It was time. Uh, an update in the series that everyone's talking about, Shui. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the five match women's T twenty series between Germany and Austria. I'm assuming that's what you're talking about. Yeah, that's what. Yeah. yeah. Well, the Germans actually took this one out five nil. The reason we're talking about this for anyone at home who's wondering what the hell we're talking about, nothing really happened in the second test between England and Pakistan. It was pretty much entirely rained out. Well, there's so. an update of sorts in that. I'll give that in a second. So yeah, moving back to this one because it, it was kind of cool. Some highlights: Janet Ronalds from Germany, 105 off 74, and Emma Barnier, uh, five for nine in the second match. And then you had Anurata Dodabalapur's five for one in the fourth match after Christina Goff's 101 off 70. So a couple of pretty high-scoring efforts from the Germans. Unfortunately, the Austrians are not really big in the game, but you know it, it certainly at least gave us something to keep an eye on while the rain was all sort of pouring down in England. And hey, it's always good to see the field of uh, of teams get bigger and bigger, and hopefully, you know, in good time, the women's game will be really strong with probably possibly even more nations competing than the blokes have. Mm. In that game, you did mention though, Stewie. Uh, so, would you believe in four and a half days they've managed an innings and five overs? Pakistan scored two hundred and thirty-six in their first innings. Abid Ali with sixty. Uh, 
Uh, Muhammad Rizwan had 72. Stewie Broad, the pick of the bowlers there with four for 56. Then they managed just the five overs, as I mentioned. Shaheen Afridi had picked up Roy Burns for a duck, one for seven that uh, that finished. And he mentioned today that it was, what, two o'clock and they still hadn't left the hotel. Yeah, about 2.30 they hadn't left the hotel. So I think the theme song for that test, why does it always rain on me? Yeah, well, bring on the four-day test. Yeah, yeah. no joke. Yeah, no bring joke. them on. Speaking of England, though, how's this out of county cricket? Probably one of the biggest first-class wins you'll ever see. So Kent won the match against Sussex by an innings and 25 runs. Not a massive sort of anomaly. You get innings victories all the time. Yeah, it's not but, unusual. But Kent only lost one wicket for the entire match. Wow. So Sussex made a fairly respectable 332 in their first innings behind 98 from Ben Brown. Ah, yes. Yeah, he's uh, rehabbing Got that. dropped by the Kangas. Yeah, re- rehabbing that goal-kicking knee in England. Um, in reply, though, Kent made one for 530 after a 423-run stand from Jordan Cox, 238 not out, and Jack Leaning, 220 not out. Jeez. Before Sussex was bowled out for 173 in their second dig after a 60-run partnership between their number 10 and 11. Jeez, insult to injury. <laughs> so the hero with the ball for Kent was medium pacer Darren Stevens, who took five for 50 at the ripe old age of 44 years and 102 days. Mm. So very, tidy very figures. Impressive. Very, very tidy figures, definitely. Yeah. definitely. And just one other thing I did happen to see today, the Australian men and women's cricket teams are set to tour New Zealand and vice versa this summer. So what they're doing effectively, I guess, is trying to finish off... Picking up where they left off. Exactly. So it's going to round out a really massive season for us, though. A trip to England, a visit by India, and then potentially home and aways with New Zealand. So bring on the cricket. It's interesting that that we're going over to England for ODIs. Like, I thought ODIs were being phased out, but for the World Cup. So as someone who prefers ODIs to T20s, I'm Mm. glad that they're doing it. But it, it was a bit surprising. Yeah, definitely. Love to see more more 50 over stuff. And now, this week in sport history. On the 11th of August 1968, 62-year-old Satchel Page, needing only 158 days on a major league payroll to qualify for a pension, is signed by the Atlanta Braves. So, he actually last played on September 25th, 1965 for the Kansas City Athletics against the Boston Red Sox and threw three scoreless innings and became the oldest pitcher to ever play at 59 years, two months and 18 days. Amazing story and so great from the Atlanta Braves to make sure that Page ended up with a pension after nearly missing out. Such a great story. 13th of August, 1995, Tony Plugger Lockett kicked 16 goals straight from 12 marks and 18 kicks to more than double the Fitzroy Lions score on his own. You almost wonder whether he could have done that without help from the midfield. Could have oh. just, just rucked and roved his own and there kicked was himself. Peak Plugger. There was nothing like it. Definitely. Why well, One of the reasons I'm responsible. Yeah, I don't blame you for that. Moving on to the 13th of August 2016, Anna Mears takes bronze in the Kirin at the Rio Olympic Games to go along with her gold and silver from London, silver at Beijing, and gold and bronze at Athens, making her the first Australian to medal at four consecutive Olympics. Amazing. 14th of August 1948, Australian fast bowler Ray Linwall takes 6 for 20 as England is dismissed for a then record low 52 in the fifth test at the Oval. Don Bradman out for zero in the final innings, thereby making his average less than 100. Only needed four runs. Four runs. One boundary. Unbelievable. Moving back to baseball, on the 17th of August 1957, baseball player Richie Ashburn fouls and hits fan Alice Roth twice in the same at-bat playing for the Philadelphia Phillies. His first foul hit and broke her nose, 
whilst the second one actually struck her while she was on the stretcher being taken away. It's like something out of a Naked Gun movie, isn't it? It really is. Homer or Homer on the cliff face. You <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. Unbelievable. I mean, what would the odds be? This week in sport history. So obviously we're champing at the bit to get into the NBA, but there is a little bit of NBL information to update first. Now, before we go through the free agency stuff, and we always look at that every week, the NBL has actually established a Corona task force, and there's rumblings that there may be a bubble in New Zealand. Mm. So the owner of the NBL, Larry Kestelman, saying, at this stage, we're still hoping to start the season in early December, but we'll be guided by the task force around scheduling. Playing as many games in front of fans remains a priority. They are the lifeblood of our clubs and we will do all that is possible to deliver a season that allows them to be a part of it. So we'll see how that goes. But it's it's a very experienced group of individuals, including former owners, people in the medical field, CEOs in major corporations. So the NBL is taking it very seriously and it's maybe something that might not have happened under previous leadership. So I'm optimistic, whether it be in front of fans or not, the NBL should do a good job. I'm optimistic that it's a great idea. I'm not so sure about the location obviously New Zealand in the last few days has seen quite a bit of community transmission of COVID so you don't know how things are going to be towards the end of the year but we'll soon see so moving on to NBL free agency now there's there's been a few interesting little bits and pieces going on so we'll run through them team by team as we always do so the Cairns Taipans have signed New Zealand forward Jordan Ngatai to a two-year deal so this is actually his first contract outside of New Zealand which is quite an interesting Little detail, so good on him for making the move. The cross-pollination continues. It does indeed. Melbourne United have re-signed Sam McDaniel on a one-year deal, so he'll just sort of stay on the the bench, bench. basically. Um, The New Zealand Breakers have signed local boy Tane Murray as a development player, so again, not a huge deal, but something interesting for him. Uh, For the Wildcats, Taylor Britt has re-signed, so I'm actually hoping he can get a few more minutes this season. I I like the look of him. He's got a nice shot. He finishes strong around the rim. He's a lefty. Lefties are always important. Yeah, he's showed flashes here and there last season. Mm. But more importantly, the Cats have signed John Mooney from Notre Dame, um, or Notre Dame, as (laughs) the Americans would call it. The Fighting Irish. So he was the NCAA leader in defensive rebounds and double-doubles last year, which is really, really good. From what I see, he looks like a really coachable, team-first sort of guy. Yeah, he has a good attitude. So I like the look of that. Absolutely. Now, the Hawks, they have locked in their second import. They've signed defensive specialist Justin Simon from the Windy City Bulls of the G League. So he averaged about 13 points a game and 2.2 steals a game. He was the 2019 Big East Defensive Player of the Year. He probably makes the Hawks favourites for their first championship since 2001. So I'm very interested to see Well, they've had a great offseason and it's not changed from week to week, has it? Mm. It's only got better. From things going better to things going worse, the South East Melbourne Phoenix. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that they'd signed New Zealander Yanni Vetzel. Well, unfortunately for the Phoenix, they had a European out clause in the contract, and he was actually offered a deal with an unnamed side in Germany, so he has opted out of that contract. Not Uh, unusual for those clauses in the NBL. Exactly right. So back to the drawing board for the Phoenix. Before we go to bubble thoughts, Chewy, a coaching change. Yes, Alvin Gentry has officially been fired from the Pelicans. So, After five or six years, I believe. Uh, five years, I believe, yeah. yeah. So I, I suppose it's an interesting question, though. Who replaces him? Well, Ty Lu is the guy that everyone wants, and this is probably maybe a canny move because there's been rumblings that maybe Philly should go after Ty Lu, but Philly is still playing. Mm. So if the Pellies can lock him up before the playoffs finish, even if it's just the first round... Might be a canny decision. Yeah, that's, uh, look, Ty Lue was probably the one that I was looking at as well. I'm going to throw another name out there, Sam Cassell. Oh, yeah. Uh, look, I've been saying ever since 
pretty much his second or third year in the league. Floor general. He just had that look about him of a guy who understood the game, understands systems and how things work. He's had a great teacher over the last few years with his time at the Clippers you know, under Doc Rivers, who is obviously a, a fantastic coach in the league. I think Sam Cassell is one who is very much ready to take that Oh, step. yeah, I'd love to see him coaching, yeah. And I would absolutely, yeah, I would very much love to see him in there. And what a, a great platform to start working with, obviously, with the, the excitement around that team. Brandon Ingram took a huge step this year. Zion Williamson, obviously, if he can get his body in the right sort of shape. There's so many great things that you can look at with that team. And, you know, some opportunities as well with someone like Alonzo Ball, where Cassell can come in and really teach him how to run a point. It's a great opportunity that's the team you'd want to be coaching so we've got two empty seats we've got one in chicago that probably no one wants to touch yep and then we've got that one in the pellies in new orleans where i think a lot of potential coaches would be licking their lips hoping they get an interview for that one yep who else is in the field there uh imi udoka um who else is knocking about the place obviously thibs has been picked up by the knicks so a couple of other names that come to mind mark jackson of course who coached the golden state warriors and another point guard had a great career in his own right and also stan van gundy he's been doing the call for tnt he's been quite entertaining just like his brother jeff i think i actually prefer him behind a microphone than patrolling the <laughs> yeah. sidelines as a coach can you think of anyone else well sticking on the point guard train jason kidd obviously comes ah, to course, mind as yep, well yep. a phenomenal point guard um kenny atkinson as well it was just let go by brooklyn i mean he's got to find another job in this league surely so. maybe he'll take the chicago one Hmm. more thoughts on the bubble before we uh, do a bit of a playoff preview Stewie yeah look I'm going to let you start this one off because there was one that you mentioned to me after the show that we forgot to speak there about was, last there was there was one I forgot about last week so we talked about the uh, virtual fan with the goat on their lap there was another one I saw the other week where someone had a child on their lap it was fair enough you hmm. know but he's lifted his baby up and in the process, as can happen on Zoom, where sometimes with the green screen and stuff, things can disappear. It actually looked like he had a decapitated child. Did we double check that he didn't? Well, no, you could see a bit of the head for a bit there. And oh, then, God. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds worse. Yeah, that does. Sound bad. <laughs> oh, dear. But the other one that made me laugh, and geez, talk about appropriate titles. There was, I think it was in the TNT broadcast, they had an advertisement on the floor for Motorola Razor. And weirdly, sometimes when the players ran past it at a particular angle and part on the court, it actually looked like they became decapitated by the word razor. Oh, oh dear. Yeah. So, you know, at least it was ironically appropriate. Yeah. Great advertising. Clearly clearly the razors work. Yeah. So we we still, we keep seeing things and you've noticed something with the names on the jerseys. I did. I did. So one of the messages that I was actually seeing quite quite a bit was one that said, I am a man. And Terence Mann actually had that on his, so it actually said, I am a man-man. Yeah. Which doesn't quite roll off the tongue. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a poignant phrase, obviously. The term boy used derogatorily towards African-American people rather than calling them man. And of course, we had that famous one at the Logies one year when Bert Newton referred to Muhammad Ali as boy one time. And not in that context, like in Australia, it's just, oh, he's a good, you know, anyone younger than him, he would have called boy. But of course, the look on Muhammad Ali's face, have a look at that footage if you can get your hands on it. It's not the look you'd want to see from Muhammad standing right next to you. But yeah, so it's it's an understandable phrase on the back of a jersey, but I'm a man, man is is maybe it's a bit Austin Powers-y, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I'm a man, baby. Yeah. No, he actually was a man in that game as well. He nearly had a triple-double in that game. But uh, it was one of those things I just kind of looked at, kind of like your vote for Millsap. And yeah, yeah. We, we support this thing, but it can go a bit funny, can't it? It yeah. can. Yeah. It can. 
So speaking of bubble observations, the NBA's decided to have an all-bubble team and bubble MVP for the eight play-in games. What do you think about this? I like the idea. It's it's kind of cute. It's it's something that gives people something to play yeah, for. Yeah, I like it too. I, I like like some it. people have been critical of it, which surprised me a little. I mean, okay, it's not a big sample size. It's fairly small. But, geez, it's been an entertaining couple of weeks. And it will be indelibly in the NBA history forever. People will talk about TJ Warren and Damian Lillard and all these great games and experiences. So well, let's, why let's, not? Well, well, let's get. You've you've mentioned a couple of them. Shall we? Shall we get? Yeah. Into well, it? I've mentioned some obvious ones. So, well, let's let's just go by position. Probably the easiest way to do it. So, point guard. It's got to be Dame. It's obviously Damian Lillard. I mean, he dropped 61 against Dallas in a must-win game two days following on from a 58. 51 against Philly. He put 42 on Brooklyn in the last game that they had to win as well. That 61-point game actually was his third 60-point game of the season. There's only one other guy who's done it before, and that's Wilt Chamberlain. Yes, yes, Wilt Chamberlain. Also in that Brooklyn game, he had a very key loose ball get. As well. Oh, the steal with a minute yeah, 15 left yeah, yeah, yeah. off, off so, Karis Levert. So, yep. Sorry, yeah, loose ball gets. <laughs> it's not NBA terminology, but but I, I just I can picture him in my mind jumping on the floor for that ball. Yeah, so, I mean, he was sensational. Yep. But anyway, yeah. Shooting guard. I mean, it's got to be Devin, Devin Booker, Booker, surely. Yeah, it's got to be Devin Surely. Booker. So, I mean, from the good news, Suns, they shocked the world with their 8-0 record in the bubble. You could argue that they were probably one of the unluckiest non-playoff teams the league's ever seen. Oh, it was an incredible achievement. They were given a 1% chance of making the playoffs heading in. Had one other result gone differently, they would have been in after going undefeated. Jeez, it would give them a hell of a lot of confidence heading into next season. Yep. I will just, just quickly with the whole non-playoff thing. 26 teams have actually missed the playoffs with a record of 42 and 40 or better. And just sort of going through that, the Suns have missed the playoffs three times with 46 wins or more. Wow. They are just not lucky at all, yeah, unfortunately. Wow, wow. Uh, small forward? TJ Warren. Or we put him at power forward? Well, I, I had him at power forward. I've got Luka Doncic at small forward. Oh, yeah, of course. Luka Doncic, yeah. We get our three guards in. Well, Luca can play small forward, surely. I mean, he's big yeah, enough. Yeah, he's, he's big enough. So, I mean, his his results have been phenomenal. He had obviously that triple double with twenty rebounds, and nearly had another one with twenty assists. So, yeah, the guy was off the against chain. Portland. Yeah, the, the, yeah, that, I watched that one. That was an incredible game. Yep. Uh, power forward. Yeah, we mentioned TJ Warren. And I think the only place we differ probably is at center. So I'll take Jokic. Yeah, I'll take I'll take Nikola Vucevic. Hey, though. very good. So Jokic, I went with. Uh, sorry, I was going to go with, I should say, but he had a 12.1 rebound game against the Lakers and an 8.5 rebound game against Portland. Well, he he's didn't play the entire fourth quarter of that Lakers game. True, true, but averaged less than seven boards a game and 3.6 turnovers. Vucevic, on the other hand, over 20 points a game, 52.8% from the field, 81% from the, the stripe, 9.6 rebounds and less than 1.4 turnovers a game. So... For me, I think his consistency was probably a little bit better than Jokic. I mean, you, you could make the argument that Jokic didn't play as many minutes. Well, but, yeah, they sat him, yeah. yeah. But uh, no, no, that's I, fair enough. I really liked what, what Vooch did. So, um, And obviously, I think we probably both would have wanted to make room for Giannis, but Doncic and Warren, I think, just did more. Yeah, no, I don't think Giannis deserved it. Mm. In the you know, yeah, I'm sure he'll have a great playoffs, but and James Harden obviously is a, another one that yeah, yeah, tough, tough yeah. to leave him out, but other guys just did more, so. Is there any question on the bubble MVP? No, not at all. Damian Lillard was magnificent. By, Absolutely magnificent. By a street, I think. Yeah. So. As I say, punctuated by that steal at the end of that final game, which which got them in and ultimately got them into the playoffs. 
which we'll talk about in a second. Well, I'm going to run through a couple of stats from Dame Dollar. So 37.6 points a game, 49.7% from the field, 54% of his shots are from three, and God knows what percentage of those are from the logo, basically. 9.6 assists a game, and he copped, obviously, a lot of grief from the Clippers about missing those two free throws. He went 51 of 53 at 96% over the next three games. Wow. That's the sort of clip you'd expect from Elena Deladon. Indeed, yes. So, yeah, he almost single-handedly just dragged the Blazers into the playoffs. He couldn't have done much more. No arguments there. Well, Nath, we've gone through all the winners. Unfortunately, there do have to be some losers in this, and your San Antonio Spurs are finally on the losers' pile. Yes, it's true. It took coronavirus and playing a few less games than other teams to finally miss the playoffs. No, that's not the reason we missed the playoffs. Let me guess, injuries? No, well, injuries (laughs) didn't help. But no, we missed the playoffs because we had a pretty average season prior to the bubble. We played very well in the bubble. But here's some stats for you. According to Elias Sports Bureau, 117 active NBA players were born on or after April 20, 1997, which is the last time the Spurs missed the playoffs. Uh, which was the the final day of the 96-97 regular season. That includes players from eight teams that were not in the bubble. The 22-year run of playoff spots tied the 76ers franchise for the longest in NBA history, beginning with the Syracuse Nationals, who played in the playoffs every year from 1950 through 1971, and now, as I said, in Philadelphia. By the way, a lot less teams in the league back then, though. Mm. The Houston Rockets now have the longest active postseason streak. Do you know what the number is? Oh, they would have, when did they? They would have missed probably, what, 10? Eight. Close. Eight, yeah. Eight. Uh, the last time the Spurs missed the playoffs, they signed Jaron Jackson Jr.'s dad to free agency. They have made the playoffs 39 times in their 44 seasons in the NBA since 1976. Obviously the most of any team in that time span. But some things we thought we'd look at, you know, what happened back in 1997. So the last time the Spurs missed the playoffs... Bill Clinton was sworn in for his second term as president of the USA, and John Howard was only in his second year as PM of Australia. The top three rated shows in the States were ER, Seinfeld, and Suddenly Susan. The movies <laughs> Austin Power, The Castle, Men in Black, and Titanic came out. Uh, and The Full Monty. Oh, sorry, yes. Of How course. could you forget The Full Monty? And The Full Monty. So, yes, it's been a long time. All good things must come to an end. The Spurs will enter the draft lottery for the first time in a hell of a long time. Let's hope they get a frozen ball. They'll probably get the 14th pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, damn. (laughs) Well, no, didn't I read the lowest they can get is 10 or 11, I think. They'll probably still get the 14th somehow. (laughs) Somehow. It's been that kind of a year. Come on. (laughs) There probably won't be too many people sad about that. True. Given the uh, success. So, spotlight game. Well, there's one obvious one, isn't there? Yeah, it it definitely would have to be the Atlanta Hawks versus New York Knicks scrimmage. (laughs) No, obviously the play-in game between Portland and Memphis. There were some great games this week, though. I mean, the Denver-Los Angeles Lakers game was great. The Portland versus Brooklyn game, just to get to the play-in, was fantastic as well. Oh, it sure was, yeah. yeah. Brooklyn put up a hell of a fight. They really did. And you look at it, 120-footer from Karis LeVert goes in at the end of that game, and Portland are done. Yep. So, very, very close. But no, look, I think most people expected Portland to win this game pretty comfortably. Early on, it actually looked like it. Portland were out by 16 in the first quarter. Yeah, they raced away, didn't they? They really did. Yeah. They were aggressive. The free-throw line, 14 times Portland went, twice the Yeah, Grizzlies and went. for the whole game, they had a hell of a lot more free-throws than, they than the did. Grizzlies did. But actually, Memphis got back into the game behind a really odd pick-and-roll of Kyle Anderson and Jonas Valanciunas. It's probably the slowest combo in the history of the league. 
So really, <laughs> really, really crazy just watching those two go at it. They, they did really well. It actually took the usual heroics from Lillard, a step back three and an elbow jumper from CJ McCollum late to hold the Grizzlies off. CJ McCollum had a magnificent final quarter. He, he really did. helped them get over the line, He's too. He's playing with a fractured back at yeah, the moment. Yeah, I know. Yeah, in his lower back. Jeez, I know. how I know. do you do that? I know. Can I make, I make a mention about the uh, Valentunas screens? Hmm. There was one early in the game where, it, I mean, it was like they were, running a, they were running a play. And rather than holding the screen, he just kind of set the screen or stood as if to set, set a screen and then rolled. And I thought, geez, you've missed a golden opportunity to lay a big hit on Damien Lillard. To nail something. Yeah. Yeah. And and I actually noticed, so the one you speak about, okay, that worked. But I actually, he missed a few tricks, Jonas Valanciunas. He could have laid some really hard screens. And yeah, he just, he didn't take that chance. Anyway, random note. Yeah. So I guess the notes I've made from the game and what worries me about Portland moving forward is their defense. So only two teams scored less than 120 points against the Blazers in the bubble. What I'm noticing is they're allowing teams to go on runs. If you look back at just the previous two games, Brooklyn used an 11-1 run to build a double-digit lead late in that game. If you look at Memphis, they used a 13-2 run across the end of the first and second quarters to get back into it. And I've got to say, like full credit to Memphis. They could have laid down after mm. going down that much and with a massive free-throw disparity. John Morant was excellent. There's a lot of promise there. Great work. Definitely. They exceeded expectations this season. Oh, they did. But I've actually got something that is a little bit worse in my opinion. So I was watching the game and Brandon Clark was going off. He hit four or five threes in this game, which for a big guy, you're not used to seeing him shoot that many. And it kind of felt to me like Portland were defending the three really terribly. So I had a look back and in the nine games they've played so far, six teams have shot 42.4% or better from three. And across the board, teams were 142 from 333 for 42.6% against them. That's just an elite level. Yeah, yeah. They're probably glad they're not playing Houston in the first round. Well, probably. I mean, Boston went 18 of 30, which sort of bumped that number up a little bit. But yes, luckily for Portland, the Lakers aren't amazing from three. No. But just the sort of looks that Portland give up. And I mean, I know you've always said to me, oh, Carmelo Anthony, unfortunately, he's great on offense, but he's not a great defender. He's been better. He's, he was really good in the bubble. It's got to be He said. was. He was very good. Yeah. But I think a lot of those wide open threes are potentially from his yeah, men. Yeah, so right. Okay. It's going to be interesting to see if the Lakers can shoot a good clip against the Blazers, but you know they're going to get some pretty decent looks based on what we've seen so far. So yeah, it's just fascinating to see how many guys were shooting a good clip from, from three against him. Should we preview the playoffs then? Should we? Initially, I, I had the East on our list, but given we've just talked about Portland, maybe we should talk about the West. Yeah, we can do. Well, why don't we start off with the series that we're talking about? So, Lakers-Portland in the 1-8. I think Portland will give them a little bit of a scare. I, you've still got to pick the Lakers. Jeez, I'd love to see Portland go the whole way. Nurkic was magnificent in that playing game, by the way. He had 15 points and 17 boards at halftime in that game. He did tail off a little bit at the end, but gee, they're a different team with him, aren't they? Yep. There's no guarantee Collins will be back, which isn't great for Portland. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, or he might be back, you know, he might not be back for the first game, but that's what I heard anyway. Okay, oh, yeah, that's, yeah I might have missed something, but this is the Lakers' first trip to the playoffs since 2013, in seven years. Fair income. Fair income. Wow. So I guess LeBron hasn't been there a hell of a long time. Yeah, and obviously the, the final years of Kobe's career weren't particularly great. The he early, never took a pay cut. Well, that's it. The early years with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram weren't too, yeah. too great. And yeah, I mean, Paul and Art, your typical eight seed, they are riding such a wave of confidence into the first round. They could probably be the most dangerous eight seed outside of maybe, I don't know, I'll go back to like the New York Knicks in the, the 99 series where... They got all the way to the finals against the Spurs. Yep, in a, another lockout year. Ultimately or another lost, shortened year. Yeah, ultimately lost 4-1. 
Of course, there was that series where the Golden State Warriors upset Dallas, a 67 win Dallas in the yep. 8v1. Yep. That famous one with the Nuggets and Dikembe cradling the ball against the Sonics guess, back when they yep. were five game uh, first round series. You would argue neither of those teams were as good as this Portland team. No, I'll, I'll so. probably not. No. So, no. what's your verdict? I'll give Portland, because they're hot. I'll give Portland two. I'll take the Lakers in six. That's what I've got as well. I wouldn't be surprised if this thing goes seven, but I've, I've got I wouldn't them either, six. yeah. I've got them six as well. In the 2v7, we've got the Clippers and the Mavs. Look, I'm still calling upset here. I've said it right from the start. I love Dallas's shooting. Do you know they had the second highest offensive rating ever this season? Wow. Ever. Wow. So I'm going to I'm gonna make a, an even bigger prediction on this. I think Seth Curry's going to have a breakout series, somewhere around 18 points a game off the bench. Luka Doncic is going to have his way with Paul George. Kawhi Leonard's going to have to switch on to him. That's going to wear him out. I, I think this is going to be close. I'm not too concerned with the Mavs offensively, but oh, I don't know. Can they defend the Clips? Just put Boban in. Yeah, well, we love Boban. But yeah, I'll take the Clips in six in this one. I've got Dallas in seven. Yeah, I just think the Clippers are two all round. I've got to stick Great with, defensively. I'm, yeah. That's uh, look, it wouldn't, again, wouldn't surprise. The West playoffs are magnificent. No result would surprise me, mm. but I'll take the Clips in six. Fair. No, that's fair. In the 3v6, we've got the Nuggets and Jazz. They were obviously jostling for position. It could have easily been the Jazz at three and the Nuggets at six, but in the end, it was the Nuggets at three, and of course, home court advantage is non-existent, so it doesn't really matter, which is a shame for the Nuggets because they do have a good home court advantage. How do you like this one going? Obviously, Aussie Joe Ingles is in it. Yeah, look, with a healthy Bogdan Bogdanovich, I would have actually probably almost taken a punt on Utah here, but... I just can't see Donovan Mitchell being able to carry this team against such a decent all-round team in Denver. I've still got issues with productivity off the bench for Utah. Um, George Nang, he's been lights out in the bubble, but I just, I don't know. I, I think Denver haven't been amazing, but you consider some of the experimenting they've done. I mean, they played the entire fourth quarter and a bit of the third with their bench. In that Lakers game, yeah. Lakers. So yep. I think personally Denver will be fine. Well, there's a couple of other things here. Mike Conley's left the bubble for the birth of his son. So he may not play in the series. He might come back if they... Or, you know, he might miss the first few games. So that's huge for them. Could be over by then, yeah. So that's really big too. And the other thing is the Nuggets kind of chemistry experiment. So we've got Gary Harris and Will Barton coming back in. What do you think they'll do? Who will start? Who will sit on the bench? Porter's been magnificent. You could have almost made a case for him in the all-bubble team. Who do you think starts? I don't actually think it matters too much. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if you saw Monte Morris or PJ Dozier start games. I don't think it'll necessarily happen. You'll probably start with with Harris and Murray, depending on how they're feeling. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if if Denver gets up say three nothing. I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe rested, you know, one of those two guys or maybe both of them and and throw Monte Morris in there, and throw Dozier in there, and see how they go. But yeah. So you're saying keep Porter on the bench for bench bench scoring? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, th- I think that's okay. Well, I mean, again, depending on how Jeremy Grant is, because I don't think he's 100% either. If Porter starts the game, that's fine. But I like him leading the bench unit. Yeah, I do too. I would, I'd keep Porter on the bench. And I'd, yeah. I'd say maybe Gary Harris maybe needs to stay on the bench, but maybe you bring Barton back into the starting five. And I am a big fan of Will Barton. But gee, they're deep. So yeah, they have yeah. options. They and have options. They're deep, but they're also really even. There's not two, They don't have a standout superstar aside from maybe Jokic, but you could make a, a case for any of these guys starting. So yeah, look for me, Denver in six. Yeah, look, I'll take the Nuggets in six as well. Part of me wants to say five, but I'll give the Jazz two, even though Conley's out, and that's big for me. Yeah, I mean, that could easily make it five, but see how we go. And then the 4-5, my Oklahoma City Thunder versus the Houston Rockets. 
Houston Rockets sans Russell Westbrook. Yes. Now, there's rumblings that he may not play the entire series. That's huge. Now, a lot of people have Rockets as like a Cinderella pick to make the finals. They may not escape the first round. It's probably the worst case scenario for both teams when Russell Westbrook was playing, but... Yeah. And it's a shame that if he doesn't play, it's a shame we're robbed of him playing his old team. Very true. Great storyline. So, yeah, I mean, OKC will probably trap Harden more now, as you sort of mentioned. And last week, I'd, I'd sort of said they've got shooting everywhere, but no Russ just puts, for me, too much strain on Harden to do it all himself. And we've seen how much he goes through in, in these postseasons when he's trying to do it all himself and he ultimately sort of fizzes out. So. Yeah, they'll trap him and they'll make everyone else beat them. And I'm not sure everyone else can, and especially without bigs. Now, they're kind of lucky that the Thunder don't have really star bigs, but Steven Adams could cause some damage for yeah. them. Yeah. Look, I'll be brutally honest. If Westbrook had been playing, I would have had Houston in six, but without him, I think OKC takes this in six. Yeah, I'm almost tempted to say the same thing. I'll... Oh, look, I haven't said it yet. I'll say the Thunder in seven. Oh, God, I don't want a game seven. <sighs> Let's move east. Bucks one versus the Magic eight. Yeah, look, this one... Should be pretty straightforward. The Bucks will have too much for Orlando. This would have been a lot closer with Jonathan Isaac in there, limiting Giannis and Mo Bamba at the rim for shot blocking. But I think Orlando will get one, maybe game four, but they'll just have too much firepower. Interestingly, though, the Bucks became the first team in NBA history to lose more games in the final 13 than they did the rest of the season. Wow. So they're not in amazing form. And what do we make of Giannis's headbutt? Stupid. Maybe he just he just wanted some rest for a game. Maybe it was but. it was kind of a feather touch. It wasn't a really hard one. Mm. But jeez, that's it's a dog act. Oh, I, I, I hate seeing it. I'm disappointed because he's one of the few superstars I actually really like. But if if you go back to it might have been his maybe his second season in the league when they were playing against the Bulls, they were getting absolutely smoked by the Bulls that season because I mean that was peak Chicago Bulls with Derrick Rose and Nolan Butler. And I remember this one play in particular. They pass it down to Mike Dunleavy Jr. Rises up for a three and Giannis just ran through him. Okay. So he does have a little bit of... He's got a bit of aggro in him. Bit yeah, of a okay. temper. Okay. So, bucks in five for me. Bucks in four. Four, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I and, and I think, as I made in my bold prediction, I think they'll have a really easy first round and they may have some demons in the second round. But well, we'll see. Well, we will. The 2-7 matchup, so Toronto versus Brooklyn. Look, traditionally the Raptors lose their first game of the playoffs every season to an underdog. I don't think it'll happen this time. It's like you've been reading my notes, basically. Oh, well, I, I mean, I remember <laughs> I remember that game against the Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett Nets uh, in Toronto yep. one year. And the Kevin Garnett's. Yeah, the Kevin Garnett's, that's right, yeah. Um, and I remember staying up till some ungodly hour to watch that one. And, and I think, did Paul Pierce have a buzzer beater or something? Like... No, he had that was that was against uh, Atlanta. I oh, okay. I, but yeah, I remember they surprised in that game. And yeah, for some reason, Toronto always drop their first game in the playoffs and then right the ship a little bit. One I and, think for one once... And, they're one and five well, in the last go. six years there you in go. game ones in the first round. There you so go. Yeah, there you go. See, I didn't do the research, no, but yeah, I knew just off the top of my head. Yeah. So yeah, no, nah, this time I'll, I'll pick them in a sweep. Their defense is magnificent. Yeah. Toronto 27 and five in their last 32 games. It's easily the best record. Second best, I think, was... OKC at like 21 and 10 or 20 and 10. So the Raptors are in very, very good form. And it's got to be said, Brooklyn have overachieved with all their stars out yeah. in the bubble. Yep. But I'll still pick the Raptors in a sweep. Yeah, I've got them in four, five if Karis LeVert goes off. Then we get to our juicy matchups in the East. First of all, the three versus six, we've got the Celtics and the 76ers. Oh, I don't think this one's as juicy as it was a couple yeah, of about a week ago. Yeah. I and by the way, we didn't 
give the Ben Simmons injury enough. Like we talked about them potentially blowing up the team, but Andrew Bynum had a similar injury. Oh shoot! I didn't the, realize that. Yeah, the dislocated kneecap, the patella. God, I didn't think about that. Oh, how sad would it be if Ben Simmons suffered a similar fate? And we're going to keep Ben Simmons out of the bowling alley then. Oh, dude, yeah, just because I know that exacerbated the keep problem. Keep him with, in bubble wrap with Bynum. So, oh, out geez. of the bubble and into the bubble wrap. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this would have been amazing as a matchup with a healthy Ben Simmons. Seven and eight without Simmons this year. So, this Philadelphia side was kind of put together with length and interchangeability to be this perfect matchup for Boston, but I just can't see it happening. Dare I say it, we might have a repeat of the 2018 Eastern Conference semifinals where it ended up as 4-1, and I think Philly might take Game 3 instead of Game 4 like they did that year, but it's not looking great for Philly. Well, Embiid's banged up too. Mm. So, yeah, I was I was only going to give Philly 1 as well. Yep. I was going to pick the Celts in 5. Cool. Yeah. Agreed. Look, I think this one, though, the 4-5 is probably the really juicy one that, that we were both looking at. Miami versus Indiana. Oh, yes, the Indiana TJs. The Indiana TJs, yes. TJ Warren, TJ Leaf, and TJ McConnell. Yeah, I mean, this this one's particularly juicy because of TJ Warren and how spectacularly well he's been playing. And the beef between him and Jimmy Butler, as you mentioned last week. <laughs> Which is supposedly dead. Yeah, Butler said it's dead, yeah. <laughs> Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope it's not. No, well, exactly. But look, I think in spite of Indiana's particularly good play from Warren... I think the fact that Sabonis is out is going to hurt them in the playoffs. I've got the Heat in six. Yeah, I do as well. Yeah. Look, I I think the starters in this series almost cancel each other out, so it just probably comes down to the bench. You've got guys like Kelly Olenek, Myers Leonard, Andre Iguodala, who've all got experience, and Tyler Hero and Derek Jones Jr. Those guys are fearless. Hero will put them up no matter who he's against. Oh, yeah, yeah. He'll launch. It doesn't matter what the the time of the game is. He's happy to go. So, yeah, I, I think ultimately... Miami's bench is probably going to get them across the line here. So, yeah, I agree. Six games. And as you say, they just have that playoff grit. And Jimmy Butler is just... He just wants to win. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say he's the sort of guy you want in your locker room. Oh, during the playoffs? Absolutely, mm. yeah. He he will not suffer any falls. Yeah. He, he uh, He's a very good player to have come playoff time. And as I said, you know, then that potentially sets us up for a Bucks hate second round. So, oh, you know, that would be juicy. It sure would. Make that a best of 35 if we can. It sure would. So... Interestingly enough, as we get out of that, we've actually got a mailbag. Oh. And it kind of relates to these. It's uh, from from another TJ, funnily enough. <laughs> a TJ from Indiana Perth. fan? Uh, I wonder if he is. I'm not sure. But he says, did the NBA miss an opportunity to remove the conferences with the lack of playoff travel? Could perhaps look at what the seedings would be in terms of 1 through 16. And I've actually had a look at that. You've already uncovered some interesting things, haven't you, Stewie? Yeah, so out of the eight new matchups that you would have, and I'm saying new in inverted commas, four of them would actually be the same. You'd, yeah. <laughs> you'd still have the Magic Bucks, you'd still have the Clips and Mavericks, the Celtics and Sixers would still play, and the Rockets and Thunder would play. Instead of Raptors Nets, the Raptors would play the Blazers, and the Lakers would take on the Nets, and the Nuggets would take on the Heat instead of the Jazz, and the Pacers would obviously play the Jazz instead of the Heat. So... It's it's a really interesting one. This this is kind of the the one year that you almost look at, particularly the Western Conference playoffs, and think, I kind of don't want to mess this one I up. I never want to mess with it. Look, I, I've just said before, I'm a traditionalist. No, don't change it. I don't like this reseeding thing. I don't like this reseeding after every round thing. I don't like the. I don't like any of it. Keep it the way it is. See, ordinarily, I don't mind the idea because. How often do you see teams in the West that should be making the playoffs? You know, if you if True. you if you look at this year, obviously the Phoenix Suns are playing great ball. 
you, you could argue that the Suns and the Spurs and probably even the Kings would be better than an Orlando or a Brooklyn, Brooklyn with, yeah. with no players. So it, it does kind of almost feel like having those reseedings and just getting rid of the conferences is actually not a bad idea. As I said, I don't want to mess around with the playoffs this year because no. we've got some great matchups in the West and a couple of really decent ones in the East. So, um, look, it's a really great question. And ordinarily, I, I kind of... Look, I'm a traditionalist as well. I like the history of, of it all, of the, the whole East and West matchups, but I, I don't mind the idea, especially in the day and age, well, certainly the pre-COVID day and age that we lived in where it's quite easy for these guys to be getting on and off of private jets. And it's a great point that TJ makes. This is the time to do it when nobody can bitch about the fact that, oh, Golden State are playing the Clippers in California, whereas we have to travel cross-country to go and play Boston. So it's a great hypothetical, and thank you very much for the question, TJ. We appreciate it. We love all questions. Look, it's interesting because if they had done it, that might have opened a can of worms for the future. But of course, the other thing is conceivably, you could have, let's say, Miami versus Portland one year. That's a hell of a lot of travel. Yeah, Do you re- know what I mean? Reasonable amount. So yeah. it's different to Portland v, I don't know, Sacramento for argument's sake. Yeah. So if, if they did reseed in the future, you could have these situations where Chicago are playing one of the LA teams and, I don't know... Um, well, Philly-Boston's literally just up the highway. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. And it's been something rumoured and talked about, and it could happen in the future. I personally don't like it, but hey, who knows? Mm. But uh, very good good point and great question. Thank you, TJ. Bring them on. We love those questions. We do Thank love you them. very much. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, this week's bloody hell comes from Basil Zemplis and his deplorable pronunciation of Giannis Antetokounmpo's name. Now, look, admittedly, it's a difficult name the first time you see it. I remember guys like Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson having fun with it when Giannis burst onto the scene. But he's been an all-star for four years now. He's the reigning MVP. And Basil's a professional sports commentator. Who did Wildcats games for a while, so he's done basketball. Exactly. So for a man with a Greek background like Zemplis, Giannis Antetokounmpo is just utterly hideous. <laughs> And topping it off by saying that he was rejected from the game instead of ejected and going with Damian Lillard instead of, of Lillard is just not good enough. No, there's so, no excuse for that one. Yeah, it makes Giannis' name sound like he's from the Solomon Islands or something. So for being that far off the mark, all I can say is blate tokatomatu hell. <laughs> can I say quickly, Basil's a bit of a polarizing figure here in WA, but when I was a young snotty-nosed journalism student, he did help me out. So I, I, do, I do like Baz. And speaking of... WA journos. Do you see Tim Gossage got the sack as well? Jesus. From Channel 10. Well, that's ridiculous. And he's another bloke I just like randomly walked up to him at the Leedy one time, half cut, and he, he still gave me the time of day. So I'm off your Channel 10. Good luck to you, Goss. Yep, bloody hell. Bloody hell. Football codes, Shuey, a few quick little bits and pieces before we get to the AFL. You got some soccer for us. Yeah, we'll start off with the UEFA Champions League. So crazy scenes from the Estadio de Luz in Lisbon over the weekend. Barcelona absolutely handed their asses by Bayern Munich 8-2, which equaled the biggest margin in a quarterfinal in the Champions League history. So Bayern will now play Lyon in the semifinals after they beat Man City 3-1, including a miss from about two yards out with an empty net from Raheem Sterling. One of the misses of all time, basically. Oh, I'll have to find that footage. Yeah. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain will play RB Leipzig in the other semifinal. But for Barcelona, things are so bad that Lionel Messi's reportedly stating he wants out now. Mm. He's linked to several English Premier League sides, including both Manchester sides and Chelsea. Having said that, though, he has a 700 million euro buyout clause in his contract, so... Ouch. Mm. 
And uh, I suppose just keeping on the soccer quickly, the Hyundai A-League, I know we haven't given the local stuff much of a go in recent times, but the A-League final start this Saturday with Perth Glory playing Wellington Phoenix and Brisbane Raw taking on Western United. As somebody from Perth, I will never get over the ridiculous dive from Bessart Barisha in the 2011-12 final. So with him now playing for Western United, all I can say is go Brisbane. And while the glory have been hideous since entering the bubble, I'm still hoping they can get over the top of the Phoenix. But it is hard to want them to beat a team coached by someone named Ufuck Talay. You're kidding. It's probably not how it's pronounced, but that's how it's spelled. Well, we'll ask Baz for that one. This is true. Yeah. So you got some rugby news for us, Nath. Yeah, look, again, a sport that we kind of neglect a little bit here and there, but some things that need discussion. So, look, there was some controversy in the Newcastle Knights' two-point victory over the Sea Eagles when a touch judge clearly wasn't looking because a bloke had his foot firmly on the line, but it was play on, to which the commentator said, You had one job! But the, uh, the biggest one is Kevin Proctor allegedly biting Sean Johnson. Now, we've both seen the footage. Did he do it? I mean, yes and no. For me, yes, it looked like he bit him, but there was no blood. No blood, no foul. They hugged out after the game, so... It was almost like an open mouth scrape. Yeah. It was wasn't kind of, it? It was almost like he kind of like like grazed one, his teeth over yeah, his... Yeah, one of those sucker fish you see at the bottom of an aquarium, <laughs> basically. Like, play on. Just get on with it. So what in the hierarchy of dog acts... We've got the squirrel, squirrel grip, grip yeah. we've got the headbutt, and we've got the bite. Oh, the punch to the nuts and the squirrel grip are kind of... Yeah, well, we're, anything yeah. to do with the nuts is, yeah. you know. So yeah. that's got to be the most egregious. Do we go bite second, headbutt third? Yeah, I'd say so. And yeah. then um, and then finger up the anus. Oh, John Hopawade, yeah. John Hopawade slash Richmond Football Club. Yeah, well, that's... Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> so Kevin Proctor's saying he definitely didn't do it and he'll fight to the death. So we'll keep an eye on that one quick in, death then. in coming weeks. Uh, you mentioned the grope. We have an update on the gropes. Yeah, so um, there's a very interesting article that came out after we recorded last week, actually. Some some images have emerged from former Hockey Roos member Georgie Parker from her Facebook page from late 2017, showing her with her hand right up the underside of Catherine Slattery's backside. So we're talking pretty close to the Holy Grail. On top of that, there's been some footage of Usman Kawaja groping Adam Zampa's butt during the national anthem of an ODI with New Zealand from, I think, 2016. Adam Zampa gets a lot of attention, doesn't he? Uh, uh, he does. Join us as He's well. not a bad-looking bloke. But, <laughs> but neither of those incidents got any sort of negative feedback. So how is it different just three years on? Mm. Well, that's my question. So would the two aforementioned images attract the same sort of response if they took place today? Probably not. So, yeah, it's it's... I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping this is kind of the end of it and we can just move on as adults. But obviously the, the Richmond St. Kilda ones are a little bit more a bit more egregious, I guess, is the is the word. But So Georgie Parker, as a multiple sport competitor, brings some insight to this. And so she made some interesting points. Look, we won't give this too much time, but a couple of comments that she did make. Bum tap very different than any other group. Good luck stamping them out. We had players who hated being touched, so would never do this to them. Respect always. And she showed the permission that she had. An image often looks worse than an actual incident, worth keeping in mind. Probably not a great look to touch someone's aubergine on primetime TV. It might have been a, uh, uh, a picture of the uh, eggplant there. A lapse in judgment from them. Calling sexual assault and outrage on someone else's behalf is peak 2020. And is this really what we're going to have a crack at at the moment, honestly? So she clearly has thought that it's a bit of a storm in a teacup, but she may be on the wrong side of history there. Potentially. So I suppose we mentioned it earlier, the Auslan song. We've got to speak about this. So this yes, actually oh, it was heartwarming, wasn't it? So Yoronga South Brisbane Football Club, they sang an Auslan version of their club song to one of their teammates because she's deaf. 
some of the things I love about this, I mean, obviously, it's yeah, as you said, it's a real heartwarming sort of story. But We need these in a tough year. We do. But I also wanted to mention some of the lyrics from their theme song. Cheer, cheer, the red and the black. Yoronga Devils are on the attack. Every time we play to win, that's why we never give in. Whether the odds be great or be small, Yoronga Devils will win overall. Forward loyal Devils of Yoronga, onward to victory. Are they your new favourite semi-professional team, Nath? Uh, well, they're very close to the Swans' words. That's what you're getting at there. That's what so, I'm getting yes, at. yes, yes. Why not? Yeah, no, but great moment. And as I said before, we need to have these nice little moments every now and then. And she looked... Over the moon. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was a great touch. From a great moment to a not so great moment, we've had a COVID breach. Oh yes. Speaking of the Sydney Swans, yeah, here, they're not. Uh, yeah. So Elijah Taylor's been suspended for the rest of the season for having his girlfriend in the Joondalup Resort without permission. Goes against AFL and WA regulations. It's just a stupid, deliberate breach. So obviously, it hasn't been a great few weeks with the Swans off the field. I suppose on the field, slightly better this week. We'll talk about that in a minute, though. But I have to ask again. Considering the forty to fifty thousand dollar fines that have been handed out to Victorian sides previously, is fifty thousand dollars enough? Well, I think when you end a bloke's season, that's a pretty harsh penalty, and we've been calling for harsh penalties all season. So it's nice that they've finally given out a harsh penalty. But given the previous precedent, you know, Bucks didn't have to go home. You know, mm. there, a lot of other people have breached, and they got a slap on the wrist. So I think ending his season, the fine is probably enough. So that's, uh, so that, that's I think, the good point is that the non-monetary repercussion is obviously a lot worse. And obviously we have limited salary cap and funds have been slashed and all that sort of thing. So I think, especially playing for a team that's pretty in- injury-ravaged and he would have had a pretty much a walk-up start the rest of the season. So it's hurt his development too. So it's a pretty big penalty, probably appropriate. I suppose we should get into the games now. <laughs> Yeah, so our spotlight game this weekend, look, it's certainly not because it was the best game of the round, but it's because we were there. Now, as I mentioned before, my what I'm out for nearly became what I missed because I had a bit of a sniffle and probably in last week's record, I sounded a bit uh, nasally. Uh, I had a cold that lingered on for more than a week and the boss told me or, you know, heavily implied I should probably go get tested. You had sniffles. <laughs> So full credit to WA Health, they turned it around real quick. I got the test on the Tuesday at midday, got the results about 28 hours later. So that was great. And I wouldn't have gone if I hadn't got the test yet because I would have been a hypocrite. So thankfully I got the results and we got to go. Obviously I was COVID negative. And hey, this one's had a win. I did. 10 goals, 6.66, defeating GWS. 3 goals, 7.25. And it's got to be said at least two, but possibly all three of GWS's goals were dubious. Yes, oh how the mighty have fallen. I've heard hopeless, I've heard insipid, call it what you want. The Giants just look lost right now. We did manage to get and see the game, which was great. And, and Had good seats. We did have really good seats. So the Giants just had no plan on breaking the Swans press, and that's really the, the long and short of it. The Giants actually won the inside 50s, 52 to 33, but the type of delivery was just hideous. They had four marks from 52 inside 50s. One of which travelled about five metres, yep. which led to a goal. <laughs> exactly. And 23.1% efficiency inside 50. So, yeah, all three of them were pretty dubious. The Swans did an amazing job getting an extra back and picked off countless marks. They actually won the mark count 84 to 43. So some of their big-name players for GWS, they Lockie Whitfield, Tim Taranto, Callum Ward, they were just invisible. Most of their disposal was fairly empty. And then the Swans, Luke Parker and Jake Lloyd were brilliant. They broke the lines really well. Great delivery into the forwards. Dane Rampey and Lewis Mellican were impossible to get past. But I just want to ask one question. Appropriately named debutante kick two as well. Oh yeah, Zach Foote. Zach Foote, Zach yeah. Foot. That was good to see. I, I do need to ask this though. Toby Green, he's not a Brownlow threat, but is he the most important player in the league to his team's success? Like he had five goals and almost single-handedly beat Richmond. 
Then he gets injured against Gold Coast, and they're lucky to beat the Bombers, and then put up that rubbish against the Swans. He's a very, very good player, and yes, he. You, maybe you might be right. He may be the most important. You know, I think Nat Fife. You could add to that short list. He was magnificent for the Dockers on the weekend too, even albeit in a loss. But yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. And what's more, they lost by forty-one with our highest performing player, Papley, having a pretty average game too. Mm, So that was a really, it really was an insipid performance by the Giants. A couple of games to finish off round 11. Tom Dude uh, is out for the season after doing a hammy. So Adelaide's woes continue. Collingwood 10-2, 62, defeating the Crows 5-8-38. It looked like for a while my prediction last week about Collingwood uh, being Adelaide's best shot at a win might have come true. Only the second game all season, the Crows have led at quarter time. First time they've led at half time. Five goals to nothing in the third quarter, though. That put the game away, unfortunately. Adelaide are destined to finish the, the season winless. Hawthorne may be their only chance. That's about it. To finish round 11 with a draw. Suns and Bombers, 11 goals, 7.73. I despise draws, honestly. In this day and age, surely we can have overtime. Anyway, I don't have much to say on this, except I know you're really high on Isaac Rankin, but what are your thoughts on his decision to take the full 30 seconds and have a ping from 52 out in the last minute of the game instead of putting it 20 metres out, knowing that a behind would be enough to actually win the game as well? He's one of those mercurial players, and you've got to take the good with the bad, I think. But you're right, any score probably would have done, so it was probably on reflection a poor decision. But he's a rookie, he's got to learn. And he did nail one from 52 earlier in the game, so maybe he thought he had the toe. To start round 12, Geelong, 14 goals, 7-91, smashed a previously good Port team, 4-7-31. And, of course, they're still good. There's a lot of uh, chatter that they rule the line through them. But short turnarounds, I, I don't think you can get too excited or too depressed after one game. Nah. Look, I didn't see much of this game, as I mentioned before, but it feels weird asking this. Are Geelong actually better without Gary Ablett? Oh, I don't know about that. I did see the game. It was a great game. It was a spectacular performance from the Cats. But Gary Ablett's back next week, I believe. So I think, no, I, I picked him at the start of the season for the Premiership. I'm fairly happy with that pick. You've got to look at Cam Guthrie and Sam Mangola and how those guys have been going the last couple of weeks. They've smashed two top four sides by around the 10 goal mark. Obviously, look, huge props to Tom Hawkins. He destroyed Port's defenders. Six goals in shortened quarters is more like eight or nine. Yep. Yep. Port Adelaide took four contested marks all night. Hawkins took seven. Yep. So one-on-one with Tom Clurie was a no contest. Also, Port Adelaide, two marks inside 50 from 37 entries. Charlie Dixon, three touches, no scores. And in fact, their entire half-forward and full-forward lines contributed one goal straight. That's it. Yeah, look, like I say, I don't think we can crown or condemn a team in one week when there's only four-day turnarounds. We'll see what happens next week. Brisbane, seven goals, 11-53, eked past North, eight goals, 4-52. Yeah, Brisbane got really lucky in this game. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Their poor goal kicking will cost them in a big final. Almost certainly. Cam Zerha nearly took the game away from them, honestly. So North very nearly ran over the top of them. Brisbane had kicked more behinds than goals in seven of their last 10 games. And I have to ask... What the hell were Brisbane doing playing Charlie Cameron? He took a great mark, though. He did. That's spectacular. But he was underdone. He was underdone. Yeah. Took a kick on the left somewhere in the second quarter, I think it was, and grabbed straight towards the, the knee. You're putting an All-Australian at risk against a team that's sitting 17th on the ladder. And again, in shortened turnarounds. Exactly. Melbourne had a massive win and Collingwood's uh, woes continued when Ben Reid did a hammy and Brody Majacek got concussed. Melbourne 16 goals for 100, Collingwood 6-8-44. This was such an enjoyable game to watch and not just because it was the Pies. Look, I really enjoyed the 2018 Melbourne side and it's good to see them getting back to that level. 
Collingwood haven't reached 60 points in seven of their last eight games. The more worrying thing for me, though, is actually they won the clearances by one with supposedly the best Ruckman in the contest going against Melbourne's third-tier Ruckman. Mm. Two questions. So Collingwood might actually miss the finals the way they're going. Does any contender have more important outs than Collingwood, though? Like Jordan Degoe, Jeremy Howe, Will Kelly, Adam Trelaw, Jaden Stevenson, whatever's going on with him. Yeah, a bit of hot water, potentially. They've got a big injury list, yeah. It just seems to be all important players. And on the other hand, with six rounds left, can Christian Petrarca actually challenge for the Brownlow? Uh, I don't think they've won enough games, but he's an impressive player and some of his highlights are magnificent. But if you go back to last year, Nat Fife. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, look, it's possible. He was a standout on a fairly average average Fremantle side and Petrarca's been a standout so far on a pretty average Melbourne side. Who knows? Speaking of Frio, they went down on the Saturday night game in controversial circumstances. Carlton, 5 goals, 10-40, defeated Frio, 5 goals, 6-36. Boo! No, this was a look, a belter of a game of footy ruined by two poor umpiring decisions. Before we get to that, though, I take my hat off to Jack Noons for converting probably one of the most difficult shots the game has. But let's get to the key points. Obviously, the Matt Tabiner decision, the deliberate out-of-bounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty straightforward. Tabiner, one of only two players to have kicked a goal in every game this season, by the way. Oh, there you go. But uh, yeah, I did think that was deliberate. He didn't disguise it well enough. Now, definitely not a free kick against Andrew Brayshaw. Oh, absolutely not. He even tried to stop himself. He was just going for a smother, and he actually kind of pumped the brakes. Yep. So that was a horrible decision. Now, the free kick was spotted from where the ball landed outside the field of play instead of where it crossed the boundary which was probably about an 8 to 10 metre difference. Well, umpires can't judge distance anyway. Well, exactly right. I'm surprised it wasn't play or not 15. But yeah, yeah. Look, rule 1512A about free kicks after disposal states, the free kick shall be taken by the nearest player to the location where the football touches the ground or crosses the boundary line, as the case may be. So it should have been given. So they've stuffed that up. And the umpires have actually come out and admitted that Noons shouldn't have actually taken the free kick. It should have been Michael Gibbons, who was much closer to it. And so, who's much shakier in front of goal, too. He wouldn't, be, wouldn't so. have had the toe. No yeah. way. But look, let's look at something good from the game. Did you see the Falcon of the Year that Cade Simpson Oh, got? it was crazy, wasn't it? Sweet Jesus. <laughs> and he played on really well. He did. Fair, yeah. fair play to him. Oh, jeez. That was kicked... From point blank range, pretty hard. Yep. Yeah. yeah. With a heavy ball in rain, too. Yeah, brutal. Yeah, that was brutal. Unsurprisingly, Adelaide's woes continued, this time at the hands of the Dogs, with 31 scoring shots, 16 goals, 15, 111, defeating Adelaide 8 6 No surprise here. The Bulldogs just too talented. Six goals from Aaron Norton, 37 touches, and 811 metres gained from Bailey Smith. The Dogs are sitting 10th on the ladder. Their next three weeks against Melbourne, Geelong and West Coast is basically going to decide whether they play finals this year. Did you see that mark by Easton Wood? Oh, the Charlie Cameron one was good, but crikey, that was amazing. That might be mark of the year for me. Oh, yeah, it would be right up there. It would be right. It had a bit of Jeremy Howe about it, actually. Best, Best pure jump I've seen. The Bombers probably lucky to escape the week with two points. This time, though, zero points in a 10-goal 8-68 defeat at the hands of the Saints. Bombers themselves, five goals, 3-33. Yeah, Jade Gresham announced is out for the season earlier in the week with a stress fracture to his lower back, presumably from carrying around that massive lie about being okay with being groped. <laughs> now, clinical from the Saints, they bounce back from their thrash into Geelong and cement their top four. Two questions for me. So Joe Danaher, Jake Stringer, Orazio Fantasia and Jaden Laverde all out in the Bombers forward line. Can their inability to kick a winning score be attributed to that? Oh, big time. Big yeah. time? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you'd have to think their season's pretty much done. Oh, well and truly. Yeah, even though they have that game in hand. But yeah, that's a lot of goal kicking out. Mm. A lot. Speaking of their Stringer season... Stringer was looking good at the start of the season too. 
Yeah, he really was. So speaking of their season being over, John Warsfold's now linked to a move to Fremantle. He doesn't look like the right man for the job. The plan is to move Ben Rutten, I believe, into the, the head coach job. Is now the time to do it? Well, to be honest, it looks like Rutten's had the reins anyway. I don't think John's doing a hell of a lot. He's definitely not doing much on match day. So it's probably much of a muchness, to be honest. It's only a matter of time. James Sicily did his ACL in Hawthorne's loss to the Eagles, who kicked 12 goals, 981. Hawthorne managing 7-7-49. Not a classical West Coast performance, aside from a ton of intercept marks, but good enough for the four points against the Hawthorne side that are struggling to put a score on the board. Liam Ryan had three fantastic marks above packs. Converted all three into, into goals as well, which is going to be crucial come finals time. One more game at home against GWS, and then back to the Gold Coast hub for us. Will the Eagles get it right this time around? Well, that's the key question, isn't it? Because they certainly weren't good away from home at the start of the year, so it will make or break their premiership hopes. I think because we have a definite timeline, it will probably be a little bit easier, but Richmond and St Kilda are probably the two tough games, but both of those are winnable. With several wins under the belt and finals knocking on the door, you'd hope that there's plenty of motivation to get it right. You'd think so. And then finally, our last game for round number 12. We didn't see it. It finished just before we started recording. Richmond, 8 goals, 5.53 to the Gold Coast Suns, 4 goals, 8.32. But the biggest news, Tom Lynch in hot water again. He's a dog right now, Tom Lynch. Bit of a dirty player. Yep, swinging arms. He uh, managed to... Well, he should have got done for pushing that port bloke in the back of the head the other week anyway. Absolutely. He'll have to get a week for this, surely. You a little bit so. of a gut punch. They're trying to get rid of the gut yep. punch. No, I agree entirely. And I would be personally okay with seeing that, quite frankly. If you have a question for the sport blokes, email them, sportblokes at gmail.com or find them on Twitter at sportblokes. Please also like, rate and subscribe. Tell your friends. Jeez, we had a lot of talk about this week. What do you have for us, Shui? Oh, fair bit going on, but look, AFL, it's hard to go past the Western Bulldogs and Melbourne on Saturday. You've got two teams vying for that top eight sort of finish, both in reasonable form at the moment as well. Um, in the NBA, look, Portland and the Lakers, that's going to be the matchup of the first round for me. So looking forward to both of those. How about yourself? Well, speaking of Portland Lakers, that's the day I've got my eye on. On that same day, we've got Miami, Indiana. So we've got Jimmy Butler versus TJ Warren. And we've also got OKC versus Houston. Can Houston's micro ball do anything in the playoffs? I've always said no. Time to see if it will. I hope I'm wrong. Until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.